Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hello, puzzlers. Welcome to the Puzzler Podcast, the partridge in your puzzler pear tree. Merry Christmas. May your stockings be filled with puzzles big and small. I am your host, AJ Jacobs. We have a special holiday episode. We are doing a crossover, just like TV shows used to do for Sweeps Week. And it is with a podcast by our wonderful producer, Jody Avergan. Welcome, Jody. Hey there, AJ. So this is, I'm going to give you a puzzle. This is a type of podcast episode that also means to be upset about something. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. I think you stumped me. Is it uh, a, a crossover? Crossover. Nicely done. All right. Do I qualify? Can I take over for you and Greg, or do I just have to stay as the producer of the show? No, now you are deputy chief puzzle officer, something like okay, that. Okay, great. Uh, I think that's great. So, in addition to coming up with brilliant puzzles like that, you also co host a wonderful podcast. So, can you tell us a little about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm a podcast producer. I love making the puzzler with all of you, but I also am a host and I have a show with the network called Radiotopia that's called This Day in Esoteric Political History. It does what it says on the on the tin, AJ. We, <laughs> we take a uh, interesting political story from that day um, or close to that day in U.S. political history. And it's co-hosted with two brilliant actual historians, Nicole Hemmer of Vanderbilt, Kelly Carter Jackson of Wellesley. It's produced by 
Brittany Brown, who also produces this show. But yeah, the show is really fun. We often do it just the three of us, but we also have guests on from time to time. And you were a guest very recently for two episodes about how puzzles and history intersect. And we thought we'd run one of them here in the Puzzler feed. Fantastic. And what... Just give me give me one example of an esoteric day in political history. So we've done stories on, we recently did a story about the first telephone installed at the White House. Um, Alexander oh, Graham yeah. Bell actually installed it for Rutherford B. Hayes. We realized we don't get too many Rutherford B. Hayes stories on the show, so there was one. Um, <laughs> and I listened to that, and the I still remember the phone number of the White House. One. One yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, AJ, I'm sure you. Are, I'm sure you love the story of the time that Jimmy Carter was attacked by a crazed rabbit uh, while canoeing. I do. Uh, so uh, we've uh, done that one. It's very Monty Python. Yeah. Yeah. So we do silly stories. We do serious stories. You know, I really like some of the more lesser-known angles on more quote-unquote serious stories. So, for instance, one that always sticks in my head was um, we did a story about a time that someone tried to assassinate JFK two years before he was actually assassinated. Someone tried to blow him up with a car bomb. So, you know, we um, we mix it up. We do the swamp rabbits and we do the attempted assassinations. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that one. I'm going to have to listen. And what I love is you always put it in some sort of context. Yeah. So it's it's not just a, a random fact. It's an insight into actual history. Well, you know, the present is a product of the past, as uh, my co-host Nikki likes to say. And so I think by studying this stuff, we really kind of understand how we how we got here. Exactly. And I tried to do that with the history of puzzles. And we recorded a couple of episodes. We're going to play one right now, which was all about puzzles and World War II mm -hmm. and how they crossed over, including the decision by the New York Times to run their very first crossword puzzle, which they were loath to do for quite some time. So this one starts with Jody asking me a question. Take a listen. I guess we should point out for listeners that this is our December 24th episode. And so I guess we're calling this our Christmas episode. And, I, you know, we don't have a Christmas specific hook here. But AJ, tell me, I mean, it seems to me like the holiday season and the war and puzzles do intersect in an interesting way. And one way they do is let's start with this memo that is written at the New York Times in December of 1941. And we mentioned in the last episode that the Times was reluctant to get into the crossword game. But now, a sort of generation later, during the war, around the Christmas holiday season, there's this memo that goes out inside the Times that basically makes the case, as I read it, that says like, hey, you know, our readers are kind of struggling this holiday season. Maybe a crossword can help cheer them up or something. Yeah, that is my interpretation as well. Yeah. As we mentioned last episode, the Times was one of the only papers that did not print crosswords. Instead, they printed articles about what a, a scourge on society it was <laughs> and uh, how it was wasting people's time. And the Times was, even back then, kind of snooty, so they, they felt that uh, it was too frivolous. But then Pearl Harbor, December 7th, uh, 1941, I got that date right. That would yeah. be embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is a date that lives in infamy. <laughs> yeah, I, would, I would live in infamy if I got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, less than two weeks after that, uh, this editor at the New York Times sent a memo saying, uh, it is possible there will now be bleak blackout hours, or if not that, then certainly a need for relaxation of some kind or another. Hmm. And he said, I think we have to go ahead with the crossword puzzle. 
And actually, the publisher, Arthur Salzberg, was a fan of crosswords. He just didn't think that they were fit to print. Uh, but then he changed his mind, and a, a little more than a year later, uh, in February of 1942, came the very first New York Times crossword puzzle, and it has since become the market leader. Right. They were late to the game, but they kind of took over. Well, did they suffer for being late to the game? Not really, uh, because they hired, one of their great moves was hiring a genius named Margaret Petheridge Farrar, who uh, has a great name, and mm -hmm. she was uh, she's a legend in the crossword community. She actually had come from these, these two guys in the 20s named Simon and Schuster, uh, decided to to print crossword puzzles like that was there. They didn't have a business. It was not a publisher. Their whole <laughs> business was built on crosswords. Uh, and they hired her as an editor. So she came from Simon and Schuster and took over the New York Times. And as I say, she's a legend because she introduced all these reforms. She cleaned them up. There used to be all these mistakes. She made the, the grid symmetrical, which is very mm. important mm -hmm. for some puzzlers. I don't really care that much. <laughs> she... Um, <laughs> She said no two-letter words. That's oh. that's cheating. Hmm. So she had all of these. And um, in that initial memo that we talked about, he said, uh, the editor said, I don't think we should do anything radically different. We should just be the best at it. We should do it better, was his hmm. phrase. And I, I think they did. That memo takes me back to the early days of the pandemic when... Uh, Everyone was kind of stuck at home. That idea that these bleak blackout mm -hmm. hours, yep. we were doing jigsaw puzzles. The New York Times at that time ran, you know, usually in the holidays, they run this big games insert um, mm -hmm. that's that has all these different kinds of puzzles, uh, mainly aimed at kids, but kind of for the whole family. And because of the pandemic, they were like, people need puzzles and games to distract themselves mm -hmm. and fill their time. And parents need something to do with their kids. And so they had run this enormous game insert um you know months earlier than they normally do and i i can i totally get that sense of look people are coming up on hard times and they're yeah. gonna need something to pass the time and they're going to need something to distract them um, which feels just like a very familiar thought process after the last three years yeah because you, you really can't focus on anything else while you're trying to solve mm -hmm. a crossword puzzle um I'm so like laser focused on getting something right because I'm super competitive when it comes mm -hmm. to games. Like I, I, I definitely tune out, and for me, sometimes I think it's a good thing. Same. To that point, AJ actually, and you know, this is a little to the side. I was thinking about asking this last episode too, but like, is there a tension there between like this as distraction and then clearly, I mean, you, you know, you went deep into this world and I'm getting a taste of it by making the puzzle podcast. But there's also clearly a whole group of puzzlers who do not think of this as distraction. They think of this as blood sport. Right. And so <laughs> yes, was, yes, take I down. Mean, was that there from the beginning too? Well, I, yes, because you had people saying it's a moral panic, but then you also had very early on people saying that puzzles uh, teach us. That's been a theme since the Middle Ages. Uh, they said, you know, puzzles to sharpen the young mind was one of the first puzzle books ever in the uh, 1600s something. Um, so you had that, uh, that tension early on. I will say one fascinating thing to go back to the distraction uh, away from World War II. 
Weirdly, if they wanted to, and if the Times' goal was to distract, they did not do the best job because Mm -hmm. the very first clue, one across in the very first New York Times crossword puzzle, was about World War II. (laughs) It was, it was, it was, uh, hold on, it was famous one eyed general. The answer was six letters, and it was this guy Wavell, uh, Wavell, a British general who lost his eye in World War One and was was heading up troops in World War Two. And there were several World War Two and Nazi related uh, clues, so it was a very interesting choice. Um, but you had told me earlier, Nicole, that you actually did the puzzle. So can you tell us about what was that like? Yes, well, I'm about three not quarters Not in 1942. No, I did not do it in 1942. <laughs> I'm neither a time machine nor a magic potion. But um, it's it's actually fascinating. First of all, there are tons of World War II-related clues. Like, the Nazis are brought up a lot. Um, so it, it doesn't quite take you out of the wartime era. The thing that I was so struck by, first of all, you know, always, time uh, crossword puzzles are products of their time. Um, I often buy these, like, crossword puzzle collections from the New York Times, um, and even ones from, like, the 1990s or 2000s, the references have shifted just enough to make them much more difficult because you don't have like at the tip of your tongue a particular movie or song or television show that would have been easily accessible if you were living in that time. So I definitely noticed that kind of product product of its timeness. But also, you know, you had mentioned on the last show, AJ, the thing about the cleverness of the clues for a crossword. I had um, a, an ex-boyfriend of mine who was a very literal thinker, and this drove him insane, <laughs> especially for like the Sunday New York Times crosswords, which are particularly clever. He's like, that's not what that means. And I'm like, well, if you think about it this way, he says, no, that's not what it means. <laughs> um, and this, this, he would have loved this crossword puzzle because it really is like, no, we went to the dictionary and this was the definition they gave us. And that is what we made as the clue. And now you can solve it based on the dictionary definition of this word. Um, and but is that, it like I the th- third definition down? You know how in the dictionary it's like <laughs> meaning one, meaning two, meaning three. <laughs> I mean, there's. I, just, I think that they do that a little more now than they did. I think there was like one in here um, that the clue was suffer and the answer was let. Um, and that's kind of like the second or third definition right. of, you know, to suffer uh, someone. Um, and so that was the only one that had that kind of little twist of cleverness. But it, most of all, it's like it, mostly it's various, very straightforward. That actually is a good segue to our to the, the second World War II story, because there was a split. It's become less, but there was a split between American crosswords and British crosswords up until the 80s and american crosswords were much more trivia oriented and mm-hmm. british crosswords were all about crazy wordplay anagrams looking at things upside down and the, there was a very famous puzzle the same year as the new york times first puzzle that appeared in the british paper the telegraph and i argue this is the crossword that helped save the free world uh, because it, t- it said, if you solve this puzzle in 12 minutes or less, contact this number. And it turned out that it, the puzzle was a recruiting tool for the code breakers at Bletchley Park, which, is, which was the British uh, spy outfit that helped crack the Nazi code, the Enigma code. Wow. So, and the trick was that all of these 
clues were super twisty. So I'll even give, I will tell you, we are very lucky that that the fate of the world did not rest on me because <laughs> I could not solve this puzzle in 12 hours, much less 12 <laughs> minutes. But I'll give you, um, I'll give you one example of the kind of clue that they used. So, um, all right, so 17 across in this famous crossword puzzle is, is this town ready for a flood? Is this town ready for a flood? The answer is six letters. And again, I would never have gotten this in all my life. But I'll walk you through it. Okay. When you think of a, a flood, maybe, what's the most famous flood you can think Noah. of? Noah. Noah's Ark. No, yeah. And what did Noah, what did, what did he need what, to get ready for the flood? What did he the do? The Ark. Exactly. So Ark is in there. But if you are a town that's ready for a flood, you don't want an old Ark. You want a... Newark. Newark? Newark. Newark? <laughs> I love your outrage. I was going to say Arkansas. Like Newark. 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 Right. So, yeah. You know, you can quibble. You can quibble with it. But, but AJ, I mean, you you went into this story in your book, and, you know, I've, I've encountered this story kind of. It's a legendary story. It's in that movie, The Imitation Game, right? Mm -hmm. Where this, especially I think that woman, Joan Clark, mm -hmm. is that her name, shows up and no one believes that she solved it as fast as she did. You know, every time I encounter this story, my like apocryphal story sensors <laughs> go off. I mean, how real is this story? I mean, was it really the case that they found like top, they recruited through Crossword Puzzle? I, had, I did try to fact check it as much as I could. Uh I don't know if they were the top one. I mean, Alan Turing was not right. recruited through a crossword puzzle. And it's actually a little messier because, as is always the case in history, they announced a crossword tournament. So there was a room of people, and they had to solve it in 12 minutes or less. And then the puzzle was printed the next day in the newspaper. So it wasn't like people were reading it on the, uh, the underground and was like, oh, I'm a genius. Right. I'm a cryptographer in the making. But as far as I can tell... It did happen, and they did recruit at least some code breakers. So that's enough for me to say it saved the world. It's kind of mm. amazing. Um, is. Isn't there another story, you know, if we're kind of cruising through some World War II anecdotes and, and tidbits, isn't there another story about a guy who wrote a crossword and people thought he was giving away secrets in his crossword? Is that right? I feel like you mentioned that on The Puzzler one time. Yeah, that one also not apocryphal. This was the same newspaper, The Telegraph in Britain, 1945, and they, they printed a series of p crossword puzzles that happened to come out in the days leading up to D-Day, the Normandy invasion. And the problem was that several of the answers in those crosswords were top secret code words <laughs> related to D-Day. So Utah was in there, which was a beach. Omaha was a beach. Oh Neptune Incredible. was the... the naval portion of d-day weirdest of all was overlord not a normal word you mm -hmm. hear and uh that was the the code name for the entire d-day operation overlord operation overlord. no one flagged this <laughs> well they did well they that, did well it. not at the paper not because the, they didn't know right but the british secret service noticed and they flipped out and they actually arrested the crossword maker who was mm -hmm. this quiet school headmaster named uh, Leonard Daw, and they interrogated him extensively. In the end, he was released, and they decided at the time 
that it was just a weird coincidence. <laughs> there are still in the crossword community some conspiracy theorists who sure. say it was not a coincidence. And um, one theory is that the school was located near uh, some sort of um, military facility, and the kids would help him write it. And oh, the kids overheard the, the soldiers talking, saying these words. But wait, I don't know. The the real takeaway from this story is that in the days leading up to D-Day, the people in charge of the top secret plans were sitting around doing crossword puzzles. <laughs> I know. How, how, would they, how would they have noticed otherwise? Can't work right? 24-7, Jody. Yeah, I Steve, that's your right. time away. Yeah. This is why the world is coming to an end. Just making their minds sharper, Jody, mm-hmm. as I've argued. So. It was, it was so. good for them. Um, all right. Well, AJ, as we start to wrap up here, I mean, I'm going to try really hard to somehow make this our Christmas episode. But talk to us you know, in a bigger sense. You touched on it a little bit last episode. Um, but talk to us in a bigger sense about kind of what this era of crosswords teaches us about how, as you say, a puzzle mindset can bring people together. Do you have any recommendations for puzzles for people to do around this Christmas holiday season? Uh, you know, this is your chance. You have the floor to sing the praises of puzzling. I will. I will. Stretch the uh, stretch the puzzle as far as it can go and say, yeah, it 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 can save us from uh, uh, fascism. That's my (laughs) which we need more than ever right now. That's true. And I do think it can bring people together. Uh, In my book, I I cited a study by um, Cass Sunstein, who's a Harvard law professor and behavioral economist, and he talked about. a study that he did where they had liberals and conservatives and that uh, one of the only activities that brought them together was solving a crossword puzzle. So having a common goal really is super important. So yeah, that's my holiday message that we should all work together to solve our big problems like um, whether it's 14 down or whether it's a <laughs> radical climate change <laughs> 20 years right. from now you're going to issue an updated version of your book and there will be a new chapter the puzzle that defeated fascism and it's going to be amazing so I look forward win, to that update well happy holidays to you AJ Jacobs thank you so much for doing this thank you I had a great time it was as fun as doing a crossword if not more fun Nicole Hammer, thanks to you. Thank you, Jody. And Kelly Carter-Jackson, thanks to you. My pleasure. All right, there you go. That was our crossover, AJ. You have a great podcast, and we love having you as a producer, and I love listening to your show. So great to combine them. Well, I'm very happy to be part of the Puzzler family. And I will say to folks that if they want to listen to more This Day, you can go find us at thisdaypod.com or you can just search for This Day in Esoteric Political History. And before we go, a little business. There is no extra credit today, so you have the day off. But of course, we would never deny you the extra credit answer from the last episode of The Puzzler, even though this is a special crossover. So stick around. Greg will bring you that right now. But thanks for listening and Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy Holidays. Hello, Puzzlers. Greg Pliska here with the extra credit answer from our previous show. On that show, we asked you to solve this off-with-their-heads puzzle. The clue was a beer named for an old and trite story.
And the answer involves taking a word and cutting off the first letter to get a new word. In this case, we do that twice for a three-word phrase. A beer named for an old and trite story is a stale tale ale. That's S-T-A-L-E, stale tale ale. Congrats to everyone who got it, and we'll see you next time on the Puzzler Podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts a rested child is a happy child Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.